Hello, welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast for mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. And I am Jeff. Wow, after the last one, I expected it to last longer. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) And with us today are famed mainframers, Rich Jackson and Randy Ferkey. How's it going, guys? Going all right. Good. I want to make sure we can still hear you. Awesome. (laughs) We know uh, you guys uh, work for a a large uh, company that does a lot of mainframing. Um, I was wondering if we could start by you talking about some of the leading edge ZOS stuff that you guys are doing. Uh, What's your favorite uh, uh, topic in this uh, as of today? Shall I start? How about it? Um, <clears throat> our favorite topic, I guess, is um, generically speaking, is um, services. Um, that's kind of what we've been talking about for a while, and um, what we continue to talk about it w- within different contexts. But it's almost always about some type of service, right? And to clarify that a little bit, I guess it's it's about um, providing services to our consumers, which in our case is uh, the development community uh, within our organization. And to me, this is kind of important because most mainframe people think of, um, I'm going to provide you um, uh, an instance of ZOS for you to do stuff, or here's your LPAR, or here's a um, kind of the app, um, but but you guys are thinking kind of more granular, right? Yeah, um, we view uh, ZOS as um, more of a uh, highly multi-tenant platform. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of features included with it that um, make that possible, and make it more than possible, make it um, able to be done very effectively. Um, so, you know, to, to provide an LPAR or even something as granular in quotes as like a kicks region uh, is not something that, uh, we find very attractive. Um, we see most of our consumers, they need some type of functionality and we can package that up and, and, pro- and provide that by using you know, maybe a Kix region or multiple Kix regions across multiple LPARs and all these things. But it's also something that uh, we would tend to abstract away uh, from the user as much as possible, given their their individual use cases um, so that they focus on what they need to do without worrying about whether they're in this box or that box. Right. Does that make sense? It has kind of a, yeah, it has kind of a, a serverless computing feel to it. Would, would you say that you guys do something like that? <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I would say you know we we actually have a talk that uh, we we've been given recently at a few different conferences and whatnot. Obviously, not physically here um, very recently, but um, <clears throat> where we we talk about this idea of serverless computing what it means and how um, 
well, for one, how it can be done on ZOS. Um, and we use some of the things that we do as examples of, of how that's possible, right? Um, for example, you know, we have some services that we've developed internally that are very similar to some of the serverless backend as a service type offerings you might see from other cloud service providers, right? We have a, um, an object store type service that we provide. We have a nil to caching service that we provide. And it's done following the tenets of what a serverless backend service is, uh, which, you know, um, we usually open up our presentation by calling out the elephant in the room. Anytime you say the word serverless, you have to point out that, yes, we all are fully aware that that doesn't mean that there's actually no servers involved, right? It's just a matter of perspective where the consumer, again, and most cases, some type of developer, they never have to see a server. So, you know, that's kind of the point of it. They simply get some type of functionality provided through a, a URI or a REST endpoint, and they never have to even think about how the servers are configured on the back end of that service. And that's the approach we take with the these um, products or these capabilities that we provide as well. Your your company is is one that requires a lot of consistency, you know, and things need to work. And they need to work in kind of a predictable amount of time. Yet you guys are always, you know, trying to bring in the new stuff and, and move the ball forward. When there is like a hot new idea or a new way of doing things, um, you know, new technology or you know, bringing in um, doing finger quotes serverless, like what is your kind of tried and true or favorite process for determining like the, the correct course of action so that you um, you get the benefit of that that technology without just like, going down a, a, a dead end or upsetting things too much? Uh, um, so, <clears throat> you know, part of our approach would be looking at some of these new things, right? Um, a lot of the new stuff it comes out of the distributed space, for example. Mm -hmm. um, with, with distributed applications, there are uh, complexities associated with managing a distributed application, right? And... Sometimes uh, we can actually leverage the unique characteristics of the ZOS platform to eliminate some of those complexities for our consumers. So that's one of the big things we look at is, is, is it possible for us to give the same quality of service that this consumer expects from this new shiny thing, mm -hmm. um, but also provide something a little bit more, right? I don't know that Sometimes if we can't provide something that either makes their lives easier or reduces some friction for their, you know, for their, their responsibilities or their job, that it's something we would necessarily even want to pursue on our end. Um, but that's, that's one of the things that, you know, another part of the process is really just um, talking to our consumers and um, figuring out where their pain points are and, and seeing if there's things we can do on our side to address some of those pain points. A lot of the serverless capabilities you guys have created have been uh, virally accepted by people who would not normally be considered uh, mainframe people. 
why do you think it is that it's so much easier for you to get uh, these users interested in in using mainframe when when that's just not the norm in, in most companies? Well, I mean, I know what I think. Uh, I'll encourage Randy to hop in at some point, but <laughs> um, I think it's because, like, largely because of the, the points I just uh, mentioned, right? Um, by uh, very deliberately trying to address some of the pain points that uh, the developers commonly encounter, um, it just makes for a better experience for them um, in a lot of cases. And when when it's that easy and it makes their lives better, um, you know, it tends to be attractive. Right. One of the selling points that um, has been very attractive to our uh, developers or consumers is that accessing these uh, services, these resources, is simply just a link. It's just a URL. Um, these consumers have no idea that it's a mainframe on the back end. They have no idea what ZOS is, what an LPAR, parallel sysplex, Kix region. It's just an endpoint. So as long as we're using uh, a REST-enabled service, any platform, anywhere, any language, um, any type of application can call our services. And so once you've shown the consumers that you can access these um, the RAS capabilities that our services provide, uh, the data integrity that the services provide, and that they don't have to even know it's a mainframe. That, that becomes very appealing to them. It gets gets rid of that kind of that, uh, I guess, that fear or uncertainty that they might have to know what a mainframe is and how to get to it. Um, all they do is just call uh, a link or hit a link. Um, they have no idea w- which platform it is or even where it's running. Um, so that, that's that's been something that. Uh, we've been very successful in getting our consumers to see is that it's just a link. It's just an endpoint. You know, when people think of microservices, when they think of, of serverless computing, they, they tend to think of this as, as a very stateless kind of environment. How do you, how do you reconcile that with hmm. uh, the kind of microservices, the kind of serverless um, capabilities you provide um, to, to your uh developers yeah so that that is a concern that that is more of a concern on the developer side right that's that's more of a application architecture kind of concern um but uh you know if even if you look at it from that perspective right the way that uh state is managed in these new distributed kind of applications uh, utilizing microservices or serverless computing or something like that, they, they do still tend to use um, traditional mechanisms to manage that state. You know, they use caching, for example. Things are cached in certain locations or they use a back-end data store um, to to store state so that the actual in the individual application pieces can stay stateless. And that's actually right in the right in the sweet spot of the types of services we provide is some of those data storage components that allow them to do their their stateless application running wherever and then manage that state by caching or by storing objects in a in a um, 
widely acceptable location across all their individual application components. Yeah, another thing too that makes uh, our services uh, quite attractive is that uh, we're able to scale horizontal and vertical across these serverless computing environments um, and be able to uh, share that information uh, between those different services uh, in, in the coupling facility or in a shared uh, shared repository, shared resource. Uh, and so while the application is uh, managing the state from the application side, is the services that we actually provide uh, aren't having to maintain state uh, of the data itself when you're spanning across multiple servers uh, or multiple uh, plexes. Uh, because the uh, all the information is uh, a shared or pooled resource, um, typically in the coupling facility. So uh, this is something I kind of want to dive into a little bit. When when you back these services with with you know Z technology and you know using everything that you've architected, you you do have a consistent um, persistent backend of all this data, which they might not expect or might not actually be using. Does that let you get away with anything like in the, the, you know, can you, can you loosen up the synchronization times? Like, is there, is it, are they, let me, let me phrase this another way. Are you able to follow up with the developers and say, Hey, you might not realize this, but your data across all your nodes is actually fully consistent. This means you can do X, Y, Z, or are they just happy to have something that, you know, is available all the time? You mean, do we provide immediate consistency instead of eventual consistency? Yes, that. <laughs> Thought that's where you're leading this. Well, I, I know you do, but what I'm what I'm getting at is, do developers <laughs> know that, and do they take advantage of it? Um, initially, they don't know it, but that's one of the selling points of our services. Uh, if we're doing the uh, the same type of services that the distributed folks provide, then we're limited uh, with the same type of uh, issues that the developers have today. Um, so one of the things that we uh, let them know is that the data is persistent. It's immediate consistency. It's not, um, it's not eventual. It's also not having to shard across multiple servers, multiple LPARs, multiple plexes, what have you, uh, because of the uh, shared pool data that we're, uh, that we're accessing and managing on behalf of their service. Yeah, and we do get um, feedback sometimes from you know, developers uh, about that and about the fact that, um, that, you know, it's, it's a positive on their side because even say, say internally, we, we also provide managed services for other things that rely on some of those distributed technologies. Um, it, the, the application a lot of times still has to be aware of that eventual consistency dynamic within their application and once they realize that, you know, with with our services that we provide on ZOS, that's a concern they don't have to deal with anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And that that does make a uh, a difference in how the applications are actually designed. It does make, from the application perspective, a much simpler design. Knowing that when they uh, insert data someplace is that it's there by the time another request comes in to do a select or an update. You don't, they don't have to design any type of waiting or synchronization uh, in their application, so it makes the applications less complex knowing that the information is immediately consistent. Yeah, speaking of uh, complexity, um, I'm going to dance a very fine line here. Uh, you're, you're in a business that deals with lots of people. 
wink wink um how how did uh how, how did late november through early january go for you guys <laughs> oh okay <laughs> that might be all i need to know depends which platform you're talking about <laughs> so <laughs> uh on the side that we're responsible for the services that we provide the uh architecture the hardware and software that uh uh that we're um responsible for uh provided 100 availability um no delays to service um no downtime no outages so we're able to handle um whatever type of um volatile demands in workload over sp specific date ranges and in in general did you notice any sort of differences in workload characteristics you know, in dealing with a whole, you know, COVID-19 response or just the way that people do their things. Yeah, we've actually, um, you know, over the past, what, nine months, almost a year, <laughs> um, everything's been a little bit more busy, I guess you would say. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, kind of to, to take it back to your original question more around the, the last few months, um, the thing I was going to say was the, the cool part is it's a non-event um, as far as us on the back end managing the services, right? We, we've grown to develop quite a bit of confidence in what we get out of the system. Um, and we don't, there's not much hand-wringing going on as we go into those periods uh, for us. Um, hmm. because we know, um, with what we've got, we can handle quite a bit of, uh, uh dynamic properties of, of various workloads. You guys have been very big to take advantage of, uh, new technologies on the platform, uh, almost as soon as they come out. Do you guys look at the new thing and say, oh, I can now, um, create something for the user community or is it more um, you're looking when they tell you about problems they have, how does this, how could I take these technologies and, and use them? Um, yeah, I think it's more about just, just looking at first, um, you know, Particularly, I mean, when you say new technologies, I'm assuming you know, you know you mean, um, you know the new, the new hot thing, right? Um, and right. and it and now it comes to ZOS. Um, well, or and, or you know, you guys took advantage of the the latest kicks capabilities um, very early on, um, as well as kind of the new internet. Uh, the new internet craze. I mean, the thing that I think right. makes you guys apart is you're m mingling them together, right? Yeah, I, I do think, um, like with the with the new hot thing, we we always kind of look at it and see if there's anything we can do with it to provide additional value uh, to the developers. Um, but I think with, like you said, like a new version of Kicks and what features are in that, um, we're, we're definitely 
all on top of that as soon as it drops. And again, we're looking for things that are going to benefit the developer primarily. Uh, part of that is just looking for maybe uh, improvements in efficiency, right? Um, I know there's there's a recent feature that we're we're um, putting out now, uh, revolving around coupling facility data tables um, in Kick Support. That's gonna um, not so much provide some huge. Um, huge noticeable benefit to the consumer themselves as far as how things work. Uh, but we do expect certain workloads to really benefit from the efficiency that it would provide for us to be able to put certain data in the coupling facility versus in, in data structures like in vSAM. Right. So um, one of the uh, things we're looking at is the uh, coupling facility data table as uh, thread safe. Here again, as Rich uh, explained, is that the uh, consumer probably won't notice uh, anything in their response time. However, the uh, uh, resources, CPU resources that are being utilized will be considerably less, uh, which means we have uh, more bandwidth to uh, bring on more workload without having to increase cost. And if the workload doesn't go up, of course, then the cost goes down because of the uh, reduction in resources. Uh, there's other things, too, that uh, new features that come out uh, within uh, Kicks or ZOS or anything you know within the platform itself, uh, and we look at those. And uh, as Rich said, you know, if they provide better efficiencies uh, or improved capabilities, um, improved workload, we look at incorporating those into these services uh, or into the serverless computing environment. And here again, the developers don't have to know anything about that. One example is uh, we do our own replication in our caching service in our key value uh, object store, and in the replication between one to n data centers, uh, one of the things that we saw a huge benefit in was using uh, connection pooling, HTTP connection pooling. And so we noticed that we were getting better throughput, less CPU, just by using that feature in the new version of Kix. Here again, developers know nothing about that. They're not have to, uh, they don't have to uh, provision a server or a kicks region. They don't have to know what the parameters are. They don't have to know how to tie these things together to get the efficiency. They just look at it as you're providing a service. And uh, we take care of the computing environment itself uh, and uh, the different parameters to make it efficient. Another another example is the kicks async API, uh, which we were able to utilize to provide some capability for some of our consumers that they couldn't find elsewhere. Uh, I think they're I think there's a red book about that out there somewhere. <laughs> I'm waiting for the movie. I think there's some videos out there as well, though. <laughs> yeah, there actually is red book videos on that. So thanks, Jeff, for the plug for that. We appreciate it. Um, but yeah, we uh, we had a application team come to us a couple years back, and they were having um, performance and scalability and reliability issues uh, using a different product and different platform, uh, trying to um, insert a bunch of events into the system and then trying to uh, read through those or search through those. And they had a requirement of 500,000 500, transactions a second on uh, on a search. And so we, we decided to go you know a little bit better than that. So we made the objective a million uh, searches a second. And so... Um, 
we looked at the platform, looked at the services, looked at the capabilities that we had on ZOS, and just to do things um, out of the box uh, with the Kix APIs, that's just not achievable. Uh, so we looked at doing some innovative stuff using uh, native vSAM calls in our Kix services, and uh, that increased the uh, the search capability significantly, but still not up to what we needed uh, to provide for this application team. And so we looked at the uh, latest feature of the Kix Async API, and we utilized that into our search. So we're we're uh, spinning off uh, uh, a parent and multiple child services to do the search, and we we're to, we were able to exceed the million uh, search a second uh, using the the new capabilities. So here again, this is not something that the application developers need to know about. They just had the requirement. You know, can you provide this type of capability? And then we take a look at uh, what the platform or the uh, software can do. And we looked at all the new features uh, to create the type of service to give what the uh, consumers needed. So I, I get it. Oh, I'm cool. inspired. <laughs> I want the fame and fortune. <laughs> what can I, uh, just a regular person listening to a mainframe podcast on my way, uh, we'll just say on my way into my ZOS job, what, what do I need to do to be more like the rich and randy within my own company where, where do i even start drink heavily <laughs> <laughs> and the right bourbon and often, right? <laughs> yeah yeah i prefer a russian imperial stout but that's just me yeah um so so all if you look at the services that rich and i and our team uh mike Herginus and tree vanderpool uh what we've provided to our consumers is everything that we've provided through our caching services, our key value, NoSQL object store, our unique identifier, our event system, our, our cryptographic services, all these different things that we provide is we're using just native out of the box, what Kix provides, what vSAM RLS provides, what ICSF provides. So we're not having to buy any special software, any special tools. Everything we're doing is just uh, out of the box. So um, you know, anybody out there who, who's listening to this podcast, first of all, go out and read our red books because everything that we we've done out there successfully is in those red books. Um, that all that stuff that you see out there is just, uh, resources that are available to any ZOS and kick shop out there. You don't need any special hardware or software to do what we've done. Just have a creative imagination. Yeah. yeah I, would, I would take it down a little bit. Um, further, a little bit more fundamental than that, um, as well, is just to, um, first off, listen, um, you know, there's, there's bound to be problems that can be solved anywhere in any organization, right? Um, and look for opportunities just to help, um, I think that's probably the main thing is look for an opportunity where you think you can help. And then just, you know, like I said, a lot of the stuff we do is not even really all that complicated. It just, it just, well, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's not really, I mean, you're, you're taking, okay, it's not. you're taking, you know, a problem and, um, you know, let's, let's take the caching uh, service as an example. It was just a problem that our developers had, um, and all you're doing is taking in a little bit of data, stashing it away, and then giving it back when they ask for it, right? Fundamentally, it's a pretty simple concept. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was an opportunity, and 
we we noticed that a lot of our developers were having problems with that part of their application. Um, so we just set about to provide something that would make their lives easier and in turn improve our business, right? If the applications are better and, and more stable, our business is better and more stable. Yeah, so an interesting point about that, uh, about the listening part, is all of the services that we've provided were initially to uh, solve problems from the distributed application folks. None of our uh, services were initially uh, um, researched because of a problem on ZOS or a ZOS application. And so if you're, in, if you're working on the mainframe platform and all you're doing is talking to mainframe application developers, you're really missing uh, opportunities for greatness, <laughs> uh, opportunities to do uh, provide services to benefit the uh, the company that you work for, um, because a lot of people on ZOS know about a lot of these resources. Yeah, you know, some of them maybe not in the detail that the sysprogs do, but if you talk to the distributed side, and as Richard said several times, talk to them about what their pain points are, or you know, if you had a dream of what you could do in the IT world that you can't do today and have them share those ideas with you. You might be surprised that some of those things are already available on the ZOS platform. You just may have to put things together, package them together a little bit differently to come up with the solution that they're looking for. But listen to the developers, but listen uh, across the board. Don't listen to, to just the issues that the mainframe uh, folks are having. Um, you know, Like say, every one of them that we started with uh, was due to a distributed application issue. Now, granted, once we created these services for the di distributed folks, we let the mainframe application teams know as well. And then, they, of course, they start using it as well, too. Because it's a service, a REST service, uh, for each of the services that we've developed, is any platform anywhere can call them, you know, including the ZOS application teams. They don't roll them out, too, but don't limit it to just uh, asking the uh, mainframe teams, what uh, what kind of issues they're having that need to be resolved. But but this is a job that you guys have. Uh, uh, a lot of our listeners would say, but they have the job of, of making those things available. That's not really my job. How, how can I win in this world? Wasn't well, It wasn't our job initially but, either. Yeah, so when we started doing these, um, these uh, services, when we developed the cloud platforms, uh, we Rich and I actually did that back in 2013. And at the time, Rich and I were on two different teams. Uh, he's on the uh, MVS system team, um, including the storage team. And I was on the uh, the Kix team, uh, infrastructure team. And uh, just through listening to um, um, some of the infrastructure guys on the distributed side where they were having some issues. I, I was overheard a conversation. I was laughing at them because of all the problems they were having, you know, working all these late hours that night and on the weekends because their systems weren't working right. And so finally I asked, what is it that you're trying to do? And they, they explained it. And uh, you know, Rich and I went to different conferences together for other things that we were doing um, on the Z platform. So I called Rich and says, hey, Rich, here's an opportunity here. Um, you know, here's the problem that they're having. And I think we can actually come up with a solution for them, but also to open it up to all platforms. That's when we got into the cloud delivery model with their provisioning portal, so on and so forth. And so uh, Rich and I put our heads together and said, yeah, we can do this. So we were on two different teams. We didn't have a project. Our director 
matter of fact, our VP didn't even know what we were doing. We just did it all on the side uh, after hours on our own time. And we created a solution for this, uh, for this initial team. Um, and so here again, it wasn't our job. Nobody asked us to do it. And, um, but we took it upon ourselves to look at what's best for the, for the company, what's best for developers, and how can we get the most out of the Z platform, the investment that we have in it. So just because it's not your job doesn't mean it's not something you can provide. Yeah, and I'll take that a little further and just say that it's not all that radical of an idea either, right? Anyone, anyone that's thinking about their career growth um, should always probably be on the lookout for a little something extra they could do to make themselves stand out, right? So, um, right. It, it, and you got this cool buzz term now called DevOps, and DevOps is not a software tool. Uh, it's a culture of communication and collaboration. And so if you look at, uh, from what Rich and I had done um, initially, and of course, like I said, the two guys on our team, is that we provided a DevOps environment before DevOps was even a cool thing to talk about. Is we were the operations side, the system side, we went to the development side saying, hey, what, can, you know, what issues are you having? What can we do for you? Before we, we were even a team. Now, after we came up with these, all these uh, different solutions, finally the management got wise and went, gee, I bet you guys could be more productive if you're actually on a team together doing this. It's your full-time job. Uh, but if you, if you listen and you go out there and look and solicit um, what other people are having challenges with, uh, you'll be able to come up with some uh, very innovative solutions like this. Well, we are, we are at the bottom of the hour, and uh, I, I know Jeff has uh, quite a bit of shoveling uh, left to do um, <laughs> after the great snowstorm we've had here. Uh, so I, I want to take this opportunity to thank you, uh, Randy and Rich. Um, for, for spending this half hour with us and kind of talking about um, the really cool stuff that you've done. Our pleasure. Oh, yeah, Thanks, our guys. pleasure for sure. Love the show. Love listening to it. Excited to be a part of it. Let's do it again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> sometime soon. Sometime soon. All right. Thanks again, guys. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.